Hey, thank you guys for joining us today. We have got Jerry Bazzotto with us today. Jerry, thanks for joining me. Hey, welcome, John. Thank you. I'm sorry we couldn't get together sooner, but I have been in uh, PPP land for the past uh, 30 plus days. So it's been, it's been a, a lot of work. And now that we've kind of got it running smooth, I can kind of catch up with everybody. So thanks for reaching yeah, out, John. That, I appreciate that sounds great. it. Let's, let's kind of dive right into it. Uh, we've got some, we're okay. in round two for some people. And for some people, they're just they're thinking, well, I'm going to do it this time for round one. Let's get let's jump into the updates and then we'll kind of uh, kind of separate things as we go. Yep. So right now, there's there's a couple of things that that have occurred with the um, second round of funding is you are eligible for if you have never applied for a PPP loan before, you are allowed to even though we're quoting it, call it the second round of funding, you are allowed to apply as a first time individual. And you'll follow the rules that were outlined in the first PPP program. Um, it's really important, I've got to share this with people. If you're going to apply for it, you have to tell the financial institution what round you're applying for. And the basic question is, have you ever gotten PPP funds before? And if the answer is no, they're gonna send you a specific application. If you got funds in the first round, you will then get a different application of funding. The real difference between the two applications is, one addresses the 25% rule. And so that's kind of been confusing because people have been rejected. And when I kind of got to talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, what it was was they applied for the wrong funding. So they went through the whole process applying using the round two application when in fact they never really got any funds at all. So they needed to use the round one application. So got to be clear as to what you're doing. And if you're soliciting your organization, your financial bank, and they're putting you through a portal, which a lot of the banks are trying to do this electronically, be clear as to what round you're applying for. All right. And I think that, that that's one of the big changes I've seen in rural Minnesota is the yeah. first time we were filling out forms and mm -hmm. handing them to the banker. This time, they pretty much all have gone online with it. Even some of the banks that don't do much online have uh, uh, whether it's a third party, I don't know exactly, but there's online applications for that. So yeah, definitely make sure you're, you're clicking the right box when you start yeah. the process. And, and yes, you're correct. A lot of banks, probably the vast majority of them, other than your big major multinational banks, are using a third party vendor to help us in the process, which makes things a lot smoother because you can go in, you can fill out the application. We can go in and look at what you're doing. So a lot of times I'll get a customer that will email me and say, I'm stuck, what's wrong? I can go in, I can look at the application and say, okay, you missed this box and this box and this box. I need you to go back, fill this information out and then we can go through the process. It's also downloading the information has been a lot easier too. Um, and one of the other um, misnomers is, is you can rely on 2019 numbers and you don't have to resubmit that information as long as you're going back to the bank that you got the first loan from. Hmm. If you're going to a new bank, they're going to ask you to resubmit it all over again. The other piece of it, too, is that some of the software does not identify what year you're using to qualify. If you've had an increase in income between 2019 and 2020, for example, a lot of DJs started paying themselves in 2020, where they didn't want to go off a of Schedule C. If you're going to qualify on 2020, you have to send them the information. You can't say, my payroll's been up, and 
um, you know, uh, oh, by the way, you have my 19 information on file. If the bank that's reviewing it feels there's too much of a discrepancy between what you got in the first round and the second round, they do have the right to come back and ask you for the additional information. So sure. be prepared. Um, if you're applying for the same amount as you did in round one and you supplied all that information and you're going back to the same bank, the likelihood is they're not going to ask you to resubmit it again. They're going to go look at that older file. Mm -hmm. So um, that I needed people to be aware of. So in so, that second job, um, um, there is one of. We, yep, go ahead, John. Yeah, in that second draw, there's a lot of different information that is being asked uh, that wasn't asked in the first round. And specifically, uh, the the qualification at 25% drop was one of the aspects. And, and there's some other things in there. Can you talk a little bit about what kind of, you know, we talked in the first round that we needed to have a few pieces of information. Is there anything really new for the second round that people need to have that they wouldn't have had that first time around? No, they're pretty much that information. The one big change is the 25% rule. And I'm going to put that aside for one second because I need to walk through that piece with everybody. But what they did was they simplified the application. So you're really just checking yes or no answers. So you're not, you're providing number of full-time employees. You're providing the basic information. You're attesting to the fact that you need this money to continue to operate. And it's very specific to retain employees. They're being specific in that question because they don't want to view this as working capital for your business. There are other means to obtain working capital through the SBA, through the other loan products that they offer. So um, a lot of times people are not checking all the boxes for those questions. And again, the big thing is if you didn't get this money, you would have to let employees go um, or furlough employees. So that's a big, big piece there that we need to be aware of. And with, so, this, with now, employed people, uh, the idea, again, just to reiterate that, is that that was to pay yourself so you would not have you on the unemployment during that period of time. That is correct. And again, if you're collecting unemployment and you're a sole proprietorship and you're collecting under unemployment, you cannot apply for the PPP loan. Um, they are starting to catch up with some of the double dipping. I have heard and been relayed stories of people getting notices from unemployment uh, in their state saying you owe us back $10,000, you owe us back $15,000 because you had received fund, you had double dipped in funds. So yeah, if you're self-employed and you're collecting unemployment, you've either got to stop that unemployment and terminate it for a period of time or not apply for the PPP loan. So um, the other piece of it that we tabled for a moment there is that 25% reduction. Right. And it's causing a lot of angst, and I don't know why. <laughs> why. There's two ways to figure it out. It is 25% reduction in top-line revenues between a particular quarter, second, third, or fourth, between 2019 and 2020, you have to supply the bank with either management statements, what I mean by a profit loss for each period in that specific quarter, so that the bank can then do the math to show it was a 25% reduction. Mm -hmm. You have to sign and date those statements. What SBA also allowed in an interim change a little while ago is you can do a 25% reduction year over year. And so that is based upon your 2019 tax return 
under the $150,000 rule, you do not have to supply that information at the time that you apply for it, but you will have to provide it upon forgiveness. Sure. What a lot of banks are doing is, it, like us, we're asking people to give us the information up front so we can make sure that they would qualify under the 25% rule. Um, and everybody's been willing to do it because they don't want to have to deal with this after um, it, it ends. And now your forgiveness and you didn't qualify for the rule and you got $25,000 and now they won't forgive it because you didn't match that other qualifying piece. So if your bank asks for it, even though you're under 150, they're kind of preempting sort of what you'll have to deal with in the forgiveness piece. So let's, um, let's, and that's really, really kind of the key points to this. Let's, let's jump. So we've kind of talked about the 25% and things and we get that. Um, is, has there been a change in the, you get the amount of money. Let's just use a nice round number of $2,000, five, whatever. We got $2,000. Now, the last time we had to spend it or we had to pay ourselves for eight weeks or use it for the proper to cover eight weeks of payroll. Is that mm -hmm. the same way for self-employed people this time or has the weeks changed? You can go up to 24 weeks and you set your own period. So, I mean, if you get the money and you want to write yourself one check and you're just going to pay yourself once, that's fine. Um, there is no stipulated time frame. There is no guidance. It says, basically, it says you have between eight weeks and 24 weeks to spend the money. Um, my recommendation to anybody that's reached out to me, write yourself a payroll check like once a month, every couple of weeks. You know, you want to demonstrate that you're using it for payroll. Mm -hmm. So, um, again, when SBA looks at it and they look at the information, you don't want to raise any red flags. Um, so I, again, if you get $2,000, what I would do is write yourself a check of maybe $500 for the next four weeks or the next four biweekly pay periods. So again, you want to demonstrate that you're using it for payroll. And a lot of people have been in agreement with that and people find it a lot easier. So don't take shortcuts on this guys. Because, you know, SBA is looking at the forgiveness applications. They're going through this stuff. Um, they are not just blanketly forgiving anything under 150000 or under 50000 They're looking for the information. I, you know, I know of one application that's hung up for $20,000 because the SBA is still not satisfied the proof that the person provided. And we're having to go back and say, no, you need to give us this. You need to give us that. Um, so you just want to be careful. You know, you just don't want to have the forgiveness application hung up because of one little mistake. So I, I err on the side of conservatism, track it appropriately, make sure you've got the documentation. And those that do submit the proper documentation show that it was used for payroll, their forgivenesses are going through very simply. So that is on my experience. So is the forgiveness policy for this round after the 25% has been met, is it going to be the same thing where I'm going to need to show them the proof of the checks in essence for payroll and pretty much sign and date? And that's pretty much it. Be the, yeah. Pretty much John, the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know what, if you look at round one, it was what they were looking for was either your K1, K, uh, K, uh, excuse me, the 941s. I'm saying K1, I got a partnership on my mind, yep. um, but your 941s, your 940s, bank statements, cancel checks. Okay. And I've told people if you're a sole proprietorship and you're writing yourself a check for payroll, 
mark on a canceled check payroll, part of the PPP program. As again, mm -hmm. you have you have people that are looking at masses amounts of information. They're kind of keen on keywords like payroll and payroll records and so forth. Um, you know, uh, even like your 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 QuickBooks. You know, owner salary. You know, creating a line on your QuickBooks statement that says owner salary. And I've had somebody self-employed that not only sent the canceled checks but also sent their income statement for the year. And right there, there was a line that said owner salary, mm -hmm. and they, it equaled the amount. It was more than what the PPP loan was, but they actually created an owner salary on the line. And they also, for the first time, issued themselves their own W-2. Hmm. So, um, you know, or they're issuing themselves a 1099. So they're, they're just making sure they cover the basis in it. So it's really hard, John, when most of us were self-employed, like 90% of the, the DJ industry is, we were always used to operating out of one account. It was, you know, it was our household account. It was, you know, a lot of us didn't go through filling out LLCs. We became Schedule C sole proprietorship. So whatever that bottom line number was, that's what we went off of. Um, so this is just a little bit extra work, but it's worth it. And it's getting you disciplined in, in how to run your business. Jerry, let's let's kind of jump ahead here or jump to the next one. Um, there's a change at the EI the EIDL loan uh, program. Yep. What uh, what there is there is, yeah. Well, they are what what they've come out with is they're coming out with another round of funding for for that, but they're targeting low to moderate income census tracts, and they're targeting those smaller businesses, those that got less than ten million ten thousand um, dollars, and it's not something you can apply for. Um, the SBA is actually looking at LMI, low to moderate income districts. There's, you can go out to the federal website and you can actually find out if your business is in an LMI district and they're resoliciting those groups for a second round. You cannot apply for it. You can't go out to SBA. It's really, quote unquote, um, a targeted funding source out there. So if you can identify that your business address the address that you have on file for your business is in that LMI district and you received a grant of less than $10,000, you may be getting a solicitation from the SBA seeing if you would like additional funds. Sure. Yeah. So for some people, it could be, it could be a nice little, uh, an, an additional help, uh, but it's not going to be right. for everybody. It's not going to be for everybody, but that's out there. And I've had a couple of questions on that and people ask, how do I apply for the next round? It's unfortunately selected to key markets. So let's, I don't want to say by invitation only. <laughs> it's kind of kind of that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the invite, but uh, let's let's before we wrap up here, um, let's talk a little bit about. I want to, you'd mentioned we're going to talk about shuttered venues, and then um, I had people asking about the is it the SIL number. Is that, am I saying that right? The, the identification number for the, the uh, type of businesses that they were prioritizing with the PPP this time. Okay. Yep. That's the Nexus code. Okay. The, there okay. we go. Sorry. Yep. Uh, the Nexus code was, yep. The Nexus code was developed by the government. Um, and really what it does is it attaches a numeric number to the type of business you're in. And so when you fill out your taxes so they can track for census purposes, um, banks use it in comparing industry averages, but it gives it a unique identifier to how your business operates. Um, those codes, a lot of DJs are not falling in that because the 72 code 
actually falls for restaurants, hospitality, service industry. Um, unfortunately, a lot of us in the DJ industry do not file under that NAICS code. So um, that does not allow us to get the extra bump up of the three and a half times average monthly payroll. So, but I know even some caterers that have not coded themselves correctly have fallen out of that, that, that piece of it. So, but that's what they use to identify how your business operates and the type of business you operate in. You can simply go out to NACIS or, you know, um, government classifications, and you can actually look at what all the coding is and what types of businesses fall under each coding. So a lot of times when you're doing your taxes through TurboTax or any of those, they'll ask you to describe your business and then they'll give you an assigned NAICS code yep. based on what you use as keywords in the description. Excellent. Okay. So let's, let's, let's hit the shuttered venues because uh, there have been some questions on that of what that means. Not that most of us as DJs don't have that, but a lot of our friends do. Right. The shuttered venue relief program that was released is for venues that have ticket sales. And here's the keyword fixed seating. So theaters, nonprofit theaters, movie theaters, people with concert stages that have a fixed seating. Um, there was a lot of question as would this cover the wedding industry and venues in the wedding industry? Would this cover nightclubs? Um, unless the nightclub has a stage with fixed seating, it does not cover it under the shuttered venue uh, relief program. Mm -hmm. um, those are all grants and low interest loans really to cover what you had to refund in ticket sales. That's what it's for. Um, so uh, unfortunately, everybody, a lot of people thought the shuttered venue was going to cover wedding barns and, and yeah. mass places that would have helped those businesses sustain. Um, and no, it does not. Under the fixed seating rule, it isn't the number of seats or how much you can hold. The seats have to be physically adhered to the floor as a permanent fixture. Okay. So, because I've had some people who have come back and said, well, we always sell 600 seats, but we lay out 600 folding chairs. No, it's it's seating that's adhered and bolted to the floor. Ouch. So, Ouch, that's yeah. going to hurt a lot of our, our <laughs> yeah. wedding entertainment. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I really thought that was going to be, as I started to see the preliminary guidelines on, it, I really thought it was going to be something that would help venues. And unfortunately it doesn't. So yeah. the good thing, John is. Yeah. The, the good thing, and this is positive for the economy overall. We have seen less applications. If you remember the first round funding was gone, like within two weeks, there's still billions of dollars available. Um, if I compare this to, to the first round, uh, we did over a, a thousand applications and we're only saw about 500 through. And surprisingly, I've got restaurants that have called me and said they don't qualify because of takeout and outdoor dining. They are doing better this year than they did compared to 2019. And they didn't have a quarter over quarter loss. Um, I'm hearing it from a number of other manufacturing businesses and so forth. So I think for those of you who are wondering, is there still money available? There's still plenty of money available. And actually the application pipeline is slowed down significantly. Um, where right now we have all of our applications are at the SBA awaiting approval right now. So mm -hmm. one thing I do want to share is there is 
If you haven't heard from your bank and you've submitted two weeks ago, get on the phone to them. There, if you are a second round applier, there has been some hiccup in the system where they're trying to clarify information from round one, like addresses, tax ID numbers, certain things there. SBA is trying to work through those, but definitely reach out to your bank and find out what's holding up the process. It may be that they're trying to clear some information or there's a hiccup at SBA with it. Um, we're aggressively working through it, but don't just sit back and think, <coughs> excuse me, nothing's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, there are some little snags in the system and keep in communication with your bank on those. Jerry, there's one area I want to hit before we, we wrap up here. There's been talk yep. at DJ Expo, you know, two years ago, uh, we, we sat there and you had the discussion about, about the potential for recession, inflation, all these different things way before COVID. Um, the discussion of inflation. <laughs> um, it, and, I, and I knew nothing about COVID, so. <laughs> yeah, we didn't. It was just, but, uh, so there was the recession. Yeah, we <laughs> we, 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 yeah. we'll, we'll throw that one there. Um, what are your thoughts? What are you feeling from some of your business contacts about the eventual health of our economy when it, when it comes to the, the concept of maybe we're seeing some inflation coming out of this? Um, I'm seeing some healthy comments, uh, positive comments about people's businesses. Supply chain is rebuilding, inventories are rebuilding, but people are still spending money out there. Um, there isn't, we have to look at what segment of our economy really got devastated, and that's the hospitality travel industry. When it comes to manufacturing, the car industry, home goods, all of that, look at the short supply that you have when you go around. Yeah. That is still going strong. Um, technology, um, I'm involved in a couple of deals where I'm seeing capital being put into technology, software, um, hardware frame, and so forth. So those are going really good. Inflation itself is going to be driven by the fact that people are demanding more. Um, you know, short supply increases prices. Um, so I think it's a natural growth for inflation. We've seen some uptick in inflation, but not to the dramatic point that you're going to see Fed or central bank changing policy to start raising interest rates. It's been a healthy, natural progression in the inflation rate. Um, I, I often have many, many conversations where we talk about the Great Gatsby. I think once we are through this, history can repeat itself. I think once people can get out that pent up demand to spend money and enjoy themselves is going to be there. Um, I, I truly think we're going to see a boom in the travel industry come 2022. A good friend of mine, he was the best man at my wedding, owns uh, several travel agencies here in the Northeast. He said, you can't book a cruise for 2022 right now. He said, people are just anticipating that ability to travel mm -hmm. um, here in Portsmouth, we have Allegiant that flies out of Peace Trade Port. Headline in the in the paper this morning, they're adding flights to Nashville in the Midwest. So we're seeing this come about. Where we're going to see a rapid inflation rate is if this demand outweighs the supply. Basic macroeconomics. And as people are willing to pay more money, let's look at it in pools. Um, pool distributed, I know. You can't get an above ground pool right now till June or July. Yes. My wife and I were walking around Jordan's furniture in Portland and I overheard one of the salespeople say, if you want this couch in this custom fabric, I cannot guarantee you delivery until June of this year. 
So I think those are where we're going to see the uptick. Housing is still is starting to stabilize now. I think the the onset of people getting out of the city is starting to slow down right now. Um, although there's a big demand for apartments still. Um, I'm surprisingly we hear all about the eviction rates, but not here in the Northeast are we seeing massive delinquencies. Um, you know, we do at my bank we do a lot of lending in multifamily, and we're we're not seeing owners of large apartment buildings coming to us saying to us, we've got a 20, 30% delinquency rate. Um, in fact, they're seeing it uh, below 5% here in the Northeast. So, mm. uh, you know, again, you're going to get these pockets in different areas where it is. But I think, you know, overall across the nation, we're, we're not seeing sort of the gloom and doom that we're hearing in the media. Um, I think there's isolated pockets. And yes, the media is projecting those. But when I look at the metrics from a banker's perspective, from someone that's got to analyze the markets, I'm not seeing what I'm hearing on the news. Mm -hmm. You know, in the statistical numbers and what we're getting back from people that are living this day in and day out are not matching to often what we see on the news. So, you know, it, we have to take it with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. Do I see a major, another major recession? I think we're going to continue to see these blips up and down. You know, we're going to see the stock market up and down. Right. Um, I think we're going to just until we can get back to some sense of normal, whatever that normal is going to be. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, other than that, I think inflation's under control. Um, I don't think until probably 2023, 2024, do we have a real major concern with inflation. And that's just my opinion based on what I've seen from the uh, the, the prognosticators following, you know, punctuatory Phil here. Mm -hmm. Um of what we see in the marketplace right now. You know, people feel good. People feel comfortable investing in companies. Um, I'm not going to say play the stock market, but they feel sound that companies are making the right investment decisions. Um, it was on Bloomberg this morning that, you know, junk bonds are still being heavily sought after, um, even at a 4% return, which is the lowest it's ever been in history. But people are looking for a place to park money that they feel comfortable that they can earn a decent return. Hmm. So... Well, good. Excellent. That's yeah. what I've been kind of wanting to to touch base. And we haven't talked about that side of things. And I want to get a yeah. kind of a little update of what you're seeing, because in the Midwest, I see something different than you, yeah. than you will on the East Coast. Yeah. And I, you know, again, from a lending perspective, we still have people that are applying for loans. We have people starting businesses. We have people expanding businesses. Um, and I think that's healthy out there. You know, we're not seeing this dead stop. Um one of the things up here in the Northeast, and I don't know if you see it where you are in the Midwest, is but a lot of restaurants who normally were slow in the winter went into hibernation. And you drive down and you see this big sign in the restaurant that says, we're hibernating for the winter. Mm -hmm. And they're talking to one owner who did it. He said, Jerry, typically I lost money in January, February, and March. Snowy people weren't going out to dinner, worried about food spoilage. He said... With the PPP loan, it allowed me to go into hibernation, reduce some of my, my variable costs. He said, not worry about food spoilage and people coming out. He said, and allowing people keep my people on the payroll. So I think it was a really smart move. I think business owners are really stepping back and going, what is the right thing for me to do? How do I do my inventory? How do I place myself? What's the right sellers? What am I doing well? And even in the DJ industry, you know, we got to the point where, and John, you and I both know this, DJs wanted to be everything to everybody. Um, and, um, you know, they 
photo booth, you know, lights. Now they want to get into, you know, carnival games and this and that. And I'm hearing DJs that are really beginning to fine tune. You know, I'll speak to Keith in Connecticut who said, you know what? I'm doing so well with trivia and the game shows and all of that. They said, I'm stepping away from weddings. Mm -hmm. And I, I think people are really beginning to define that. And the DJs that solely relied on DJing and wedding income have found other avenues. I mean, look at Keith with the Santa Claus. I mean, that was a brilliant idea. Yeah. I mean, I applaud him uh, to be innovative like that. And, and him and I talked the other day and he shared some other things that you're doing. So we're branching out into finding out what makes. The other thing is I'm starting to see the demise of people wanting to have multi-ops you know, having eight or 10 guys underneath them. And I know of three, three DJs in particular that have said, I'm just going to concentrate it on myself. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be spending all this money having 20 people working for me. Why not just do it myself and, and pick up a second sideline? Um, several DJs I know have gotten a real estate license and they go, oh my God, this is so much fun. I can sell real estate online during the week and I can DJ on the weekend. So I, I commend those in the industry that have really kind of looked at it a second avenue and said, this is what I can do and this is how I can make things happen. So, yeah. so I think we're all going to survive. Are we going to filter out on our industry? Absolutely. I think we're going to clear some of the deadwood. Um, you're seeing it across the board. I think no matter what what industry in our country, restaurants, yes, we hear all, a third of the restaurants are going to shutter. Well, the third of the restaurants that we're going to shutter, we're probably hanging on by their thumbnails prior to the pandemic. For sure. Over-leveraged on rent, over-leveraged on, on, on debt. And the ones that are going to survive that have a good debt to income ratio or a good you know, debt margin or leverage ratio, whether it be small business or large business, those are the ones that are really making it. Because if you remember my speech, it was you want to have some debt, but you don't want to be highly leveraged. Exactly. And, and anything that I'm looking at where they're looking for some type of payment relief, they're highly leveraged. Think of yourself personally. If you have a high mortgage on your house and you have a boat loan and you have two car loans, and you have a jet ski and a snowmobile loan, and then you've got credit card debt and this pandemic hit, it was the worst thing that could happen to you. Exactly. If you had a mortgage and maybe you had one car loan and you, did, you, you paid off your credit cards monthly, if you saw a reduction in your salary or you're laid off and you had a small nest egg, you were able to survive this and you're going to come out in the end. So, yeah. Yeah. Jerry, uh, our time is, is up here. I want to thank you for your, your information and your knowledge and such on uh, what's going on out there. Uh, if people have any questions, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out if they had something they wanted to ask you they, on a more personal level? with their- they, they certainly can reach out to me through Facebook, LinkedIn, um, or Jerry at maindiscjockey.com. More than happy to, to talk. I know at least every day I'm getting three or four messages through Facebook or LinkedIn. So more than happy to just give me a phone number and I'll give you a call and we can chat. So sounds great, Jerry. Once again, I appreciate your time and thank you guys for watching. If you have any questions, you can put those down into the comment section down below this video and I will get those to Jerry and then we can make arrangements one way or the other to hopefully get those questions answered to either privately or that'll be our next video as we're talking about uh, this whole situation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly, John. All right. right. Wishing everybody health and safe winter. Bye, everybody. Bye.